Welcome to episode six of our chapel podcast series, Faith That Works. This week's topic is from James chapter three, verses 13 to 18, brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Vicki Lorimar. So one evening in the year 1273, during the celebration of mass at the Feast of St. Nicholas, a Dominican friar beheld a vision from God that prompted his sudden retirement. So we can only speculate as to its content. But that revelation caused St. Thomas Aquinas, arguably the most well-known and prolific theologian in the entire history of Christianity, to lay down his pen finally. He continued to be Dominican friar, of course. That's a lifelong thing. But his life's work, the Summa Theologiae, remained unfinished at his death several months later. And at the time of this vision, Aquinas, who was already a revered scholar within the church, told his secretary, the end of my labours has come. All I have written appears to be as so much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. Now, I don't know if you've been into the library and seen the Aquinas section on the bookshelf. <laughs> um, it's estimated that his scholarly writings total more than 8 million words, uh, and his impact on Christian theology even today is undeniable. So when he describes his writings as straw, it's really not an assessment of their intrinsic worth, so much as it is a statement of how much more magnificent the revelation of God is compared to any earthly pursuit. And I'm not suggesting that his theologizing was insignificant, of course, uh, because seeking understanding is a vital aspect of the Christian faith and the Christian life. But this episode near the end of Aquinas' life dramatically captures what I think is this vast distinction between knowledge about God and knowledge of God. And in today's passage... James is drawing an even starker contrast, really. He's not comparing types of knowledge, but two different types of wisdom, two very different kinds of wisdom. And whereas Aquinas' encounter with God reveals that something we'd consider a good, so he's talking about theological inquiry and scholarship, is ultimately surpassed by something that's far richer, communion with God, James is really calling out one type of wisdom as entirely inadequate something that's dangerous, uh, devilish, demonic even, compared to the real thing. Who is wise and understanding among you? This challenge, if you will, comes on the back of James's warnings about the power of the tongue, against the destruction that can be wrought with words, and especially words that come from the mouths of teachers. And if you think that James has it in a bit, for teachers and leaders, you're probably not wrong, uh, but that's good. it's for good reason. Because teachers and leaders are capable of great harm. And as Rachel told us last chapel service, teachers and preachers do their work primarily with their words. And the tongue is an organ of immense power. So James reminds us just again and again that words are measured against their consequences, against the works that accompany them. Faith without deeds is nothing. Wisdom reveals itself in a good life of gentle works. So let's look at these two types of wisdom. 
The first kind is characterised, James says, by bitter envy and selfish ambition. And where James is referring to bitter envy in verse 14, he uses the word zealous, which is what we also translate as zeal. And zeal, you know, if you think about it, can describe something as positive and healthy. You know, we're encouraged to be zealous for the good things in life. But it can also be distorted if it's applied inappropriately. So it's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians when he talks about how he used to persecute Christians before he became one himself. Persecuted them with zeal for the Lord. So you know, it's not always good if it's inappropriately applied. Uh, in the context that James is writing in, zealous was actually mainly used to talk about politicians. So it conveyed the image of a politician who would sort of play off factions in a partisan manner for, for their own gain. Similarly, so, so um, zeal, envy is, is coupled with ambition. Uh, and ambition is something that can be positive as well. You know, it drives someone to accomplish significant and important work. But again, James is referring to an unhealthy deployment of it. Sorry, selfish ambition is, is what James is highlighting here. He's saying, don't boast about your zeal and ambition. These things only show your wisdom to be false. And I've been speaking about how James compares two kinds of wisdom. But in fact, I don't think that's totally true. Uh, I'm not enough of a biblical scholar to authoritatively or confidently identify sarcasm in the Greek text. I'd love to hear whether, whether that's really a thing. Um, but I find it helpful to add a few sort of sarcasm quotes to James's words here. So he's saying, who considers themselves to be wise? If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from you, from above. And what does this so-called wisdom lead to? For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. So the result of this false wisdom is disharmony, fractured communities. And you know, I'm, I'm not in the habit of denouncing particular individuals from the pulpit or the lectern, um, and I'm not going to start now in case that's starting sort of <laughs> like I was. But these words of James, describing leaders who are preoccupied with ambition, who consider themselves wise, you, know, uh, you read a text a few weeks ahead and, and they've been weighing heavily upon me just in these past few weeks as I've been thinking about what I might say on this text. And that's because I'm so weary of tales of spiritual abuse at the moment. I don't know about you. Um, maybe it's the stuff I'm reading, the stuff I'm listening in to, but so many stories of leaders who've positioned themselves as wise authority figures in their churches, but who have sowed discord and distrust among their congregations or in their movements. Church leaders who bear more than a passing resemblance the typical career politician of our time, obsessed with their image and trading on their power to curry favour. This is not wisdom. This is not wisdom. And I'm sure the platforms enjoyed by some church leaders today would have been beyond James's wildest imaginings, but I also have no doubt that his warnings would be commensurately severe. 
because that's actually if they could be expressed more severely than we already have in the text. Because to claim wisdom for yourself, but to act in ways that are self-serving and envious is demonic, according to James. You know, the judgment could not be more serious. And of course, it's easy to call out the egregious examples of the false wisdom that James denounces. But rather than make comparisons with the worst offenders and, and let ourselves off too easily, too quickly, let's take a look now at the other kind of wisdom. So what's the alternative? What's the better way to which we are called? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. Purity, motives not compromised by self-interest. Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. These things don't constitute weakness, even if they go against the standard image of a decisive leader. So the word gentle here, epiacus, also means fair. It's something that has to do with justice. To be willing to yield isn't to lack conviction, but to be able to receive instruction, to acknowledge error, to be reasonable, if you will. And we see James' group, Mercy and Good Fruits, together, and that's not coincidence, that's a massive theme in James, isn't it? Mercy isn't just pity, which can be a passing emotional response to someone's circumstances. We can feel pity and then move on. Mercy is compassion that's driven to act. We don't feel mercy, we show mercy. And we saw this as well in chapter 1, where James is defining true, true religion as care for widows and orphans, remembering that they are representative categories for the most vulnerable in our communities, in our society. And lastly, according to James, the wisdom from above doesn't show partiality. It's not hypocritical. Partiality is to take a side. You know, that's something that would indicate mixed motives at the very least. And hypocrisy is when our actions don't align with our principles, with our words, which again is a consistent theme in James's teaching. What does that list remind you of? It's a lot like the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? And we can receive, you know, that's important, I think, those similarities. We can receive the wisdom from above that James has been describing because we've already been gifted with the Spirit, promised to us by Christ. And of course, having just celebrated Easter, it ought to be foremost in our hearts and minds that Christ is the, the exemplar of, of this true wisdom. James refers often to the truth, just in passing, and he's nearly always referring to the gospel and to the, the testimony of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. So we look to Jesus to understand true wisdom. Jesus, who in a time of testing said no to the offer of earthly exaltation and power and status. Jesus, who was nothing less than God incarnate, but who in one of his final acts practiced the humility that he preached by washing the feet of his disciples. So to clarify, I'm not advocating for false humility here. Many of the vocations that those of us here today are called to involve a certain degree of authority or visibility. People will admire you or praise you, hopefully, in those sorts of roles. And if we aren't protected by an understanding of the wisdom that comes from above, then that admiration and praise can turn our interest inward, 
it can nourish selfish ambition, just that desire for more admiration. It can fuel envy to those who we think are getting more admiration, who are more admired than us. So what does this wisdom from above look like in our ministries? Well, for academics, it might be in the way that we conduct ourselves in, in scholarly conversations. Okay, let's just call them disagreements, maybe. <laughs> you know, do we take down our opponent's arguments with an excess of glee? Is our work built only by first tearing down that of others? Is that how we make way for ourselves? Are we gentle with students? Is our feedback just? Look, and let me be hasten to say that I've got a ways to go here, but if I only preached on things that I'd mastered, we'd have some gaping holes in our chapel roster. <laughs> What about pastoral contexts? So in pastoral contexts, wise leaders deploy their authority with care. They protect the vulnerability of those entrusted to their care by inviting confidences but not demanding them. They don't need to know everyone's secrets, but people's secrets are absolutely safe with them. They never let tough love justify unkind words. They don't encourage divisions or seek out loyalties within their communities. It's not about politics. And James offers a promise to those who practice that wisdom from above. So whereas the false wisdom leads to discord and disunity, true wisdom leads to peace and righteousness. And by peace, James isn't just talking about some pale notion of, of harmony or civility. The understanding of peace that we take away from looking at scripture as a whole is so much richer than just an absence of conflict. Peace is a fundamental concept. And here I mean what's described in the Old Testament by the word shalom. God's shalom, it means wholeness. So it describes a state of flourishing. And peace is coupled with righteousness in the idea of shalom because it also includes our relationship with God and reconciliation with God. So this is the ultimate hope of the wisdom that James is exhorting us to cultivate. So as we, as we contemplate that wisdom together, let's pray. God, grant us this wisdom that James describes, the wisdom that comes from you alone. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that makes us fit to receive and practice that wisdom. Help us not to deceive ourselves that we are wise when we are not. Reveal to us our motives and let us be willing to yield to that revelation. Help us to be always mindful of the power and the responsibility we hold and to steward that well. Let our actions testify to the truthfulness of Christ's witness in his life to death and resurrection and we pray for your shalom that our communities of faith might be a foretaste of that for the world amen this podcast was brought to you by trinity college queensland honest answers to tough questions visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more